0: Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. It's grape harvest season across the country. Are you disappointed with your results? College horticulture professor, retired Debbie Flower, who taught classes in growing grapes, has lots of good tips to increase your grape production. Carrots, they now come in a wide variety of colors and sizes. We talk with Renee Shepard of Renee's Garden Seed Company about growing backyard carrots. And Warren Roberts of the UC Davis Arboretum talks about an easy-to-grow bulb, the Sternbergia, also known as the Autumn Daffodil. It's all on episode 131 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by SmartPots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. My name is George. I live in Campus Commons, which is directly across the river from Sac State. Fifty years ago, the land that I live on used to be hop fields. Fourteen years ago, I planted a mission grapevine. It is fully mature and produces about 20 bunches of grapes each year. My question is twofold. After my berries are set on the vine, as new growth appears, I cut that back under the assumption that it's competition for food is this a waste of time or is this something i should continue to do my second question is how do you know when it's time to pick mission grapes thank you you're welcome, George of Sacramento. Thank you for uh, sending us that question via speakpipe.com slash garden basics. It's easy and it's good audio quality. So, George, again, thank you uh, for doing that. Mission grapes. Hmm. I wonder if I know anybody who knows anything about mission grapes. If only there were, I don't know, a, a college, a college professor here Fred. who, who, oh, hey, Hi, Fred. L- look who's here. Debbie Flower, our favorite retired college horticultural professor who used to teach viticulture of all things. I did. I did. Yes.
1: Viticulture, of course, is the growing of vits (laughs) or or grapes. Grapes are in the genus Vitis, V-I-T-I-S. So, Mm -hmm. yes, that's where it comes from. So
0: maybe you know something about Mission Grapes.
1: Right. The Mission Grapes are a Spanish variety. They're a, a white grape and they originated, as I said, they were from Spain and they came to the west coast of the U.S. with the missionaries the, the fathers who set up the missions up and down the west coast and they were used to make sacramental wine at the missions they didn't survive real well because of uh first was phylloxera which is a root louse that attacks grapes uh that are on their own vine or their own sh- their own roots and it killed tremendous numbers of of grapes and there have been several phylloxera attacks and so many of the mission grapes did not survive. But not all mission grapes got phylloxera. And so there were some left. One is in a, I'm aware of one in the a Foothill Vineyard east of Sacramento region. And the other, but the other thing, then along came um Prohibition. And so uh wine could not be commercially made. However, wine could be made at home. The homeowner could go buy grapes and bring them home and make their own wine. And so a lot of, Mission Grapes did not survive prohibition because the commercial vineyards were not uh, active, but some of them did. So there are a few still around and they can be propagated. Grapes are very easy to make more of. And so they are still grown. There was one on the UC Davis campus that was big enough that they could put 12 to 15 eight-person tables underneath it. It was on a structure, grew up, they grew the vine up the center post, and then it had a a arbor-type structure over the top, big enough to cover all of these tables. So that was used for special dinners. So it's a very vigorous growing white grape, and it's been around a long time. Grape production to me just sort of happens. Yes, there are zillions of things you can do in particular to make, to tweak it, to make it a little bit different, a little bit more perfect, but grapes are not very difficult to grow. One of the characteristics of the grapevine is that it is a very vigorous, big growing plant if it's on good soil. The vineyards that produce, are, are reported to produce the really good, uh, wines with lots of different flavor are typically on very shallow soils, rocky soils. If that property grew hops, the soil is probably very great. It's probably a floodplain and very deep soil with lots of nutrition in it. And so I suspect that George's vine has grows big very quickly. And that might be part of his motivation for cutting the tips off. Cutting them off to will not redirect the food necessarily. Grapes have a life cycle and the fruit reaches what's called verasion in July, here in California. And that is when the the fruit has gotten as big as it's going to get. It should have been thinned, the, the cluster should have been tipped, and and well watered, especially up to that point. It's so as big as it's going to get. Then the ripening begins, and they're typically harvested around September. So you've got a couple of months here of ripening. Yes, vegetation is removed from the vine, but it is often just a leaf here and there. The idea is to expose the uh, cluster to morning sun, not afternoon, and to allow air through and beneficial insects through. You can get a lot of buildup of insects in a grapevine if, uh, this very vigorous growth. You have vines on top of vines and it's a lovely place for insects to hide and have their families and party or whatever insects do. And so you want to open the vines up. So that would be a reason for pruning to allow air through, to allow sun through on the morning side, not uh, removing to will not uh, necessarily redirect growth because as soon as you take off one vine or one cane, another one will appear any new, even if you just tip of a cane, the axillary buds, the ones on the sides of the stem at the base of the leaves will start to grow. And now you have two tips where you used to have one. You need about, I've read twelve to fifteen, I learned sixteen leaves after a, a cluster of grapes for it to ripen. If you're doing any tip pruning or removing of leaves, that's something to keep in mind. But I know that they grow, the vines grow very fast and can be can get right if you got it set up as a vineyard with rows and such, you almost can't get down the center if you're not cutting vines off. So it is done regularly to trim the vines so you can get to the grapes. So you can harvest the grapes. You can get down the the aisles and mow the lawn or mow the weeds or whatever it is your aisles are covered with and tend to your irrigation systems and that sort of thing. So although it isn't done to redirect food in the vine, it is done for practical purposes. So you can tend the vine, you can get air and light into the clusters, you can harvest when necessary.
0: I have two questions. Yes. Number one. This huge Mission Grape Arbor that was at UC Davis where they held dinners beneath yes. it. Didn't everybody have a mouthful of leafhoppers?
1: <laughs> By the time I got to stand underneath it, it was a declining vine. Mm. Uh, and they were starting another one. I never got invited to a dinner there.
0: Oh, so you never had a plateful full of leafhoppers.
1: Never had a plateful full of leafhoppers. In some culinary circles, that's a, a desirable thing. It's a good protein. Protein. To <laughs> mm-hmm. Save the earth. Yeah. And the question all America
0: wants the answer to now is regarding phylloxera, what's a louse?
1: Yeah, yeah. it's a type of insect. I'm sure other people have other definitions of a louse, but it's a sucking insect and it gets on the roots and sucks the life out of the plant. The vines, some have lived on their own roots. It would just be a vineyard that was never infested with phylloxera. It moves with soil. You can move on equipment. You have to be very careful with hiring equipment or, or whatever. Some vineyards never got it. Some, some vineyards liked it. I had a vineyard that, that had phylloxera. It was a red grape. I don't remember which one. It was in the foothills east of Sacramento. And they actually got thought, felt they got better quality out of the stressed vines. They got better quality grapes out of the stressed vines than they did out of the lushly growing vines.
0: Winemakers are very good of making lemonade out of lemons, mm-hmm. so to speak, because mm-hmm. look at all the uh, interesting new uh, boutique wines coming out that are bragging about their smoky flavor.
1: That's what I'm. Yes, I would be very interested in trying that. Yes, yes. Now that we're having all these these fires. Um George did ask a second question. How do you know when to pick a mission grape? Mm-hmm. The easiest is to go out and taste them. Mm. Uh Watch the calendar. You're going to need at least I would say six weeks, uh, middle of September to to start, maybe late August to start testing. But there is a thing called a fractometer. Yes, that is used in checking sugar levels and you buy one and and it's uh, you look through it. It has a it's like a telescope, except the end has is angled instead of being straight across and has a little flap on it so you can close the window And you open the window, you get a grape, and typically you put a bunch of them in a bag if you're going to harvest the whole field or the whole plant or the whole whatever, more than just one cluster. You put a bunch of the grapes from different parts of different clusters in it, squish them up, and then you take some of that juice just a drop and put it on this slanted uh, end of this fractometer and put the lid on. And it will tell you, it will read a number. And they harvest grapes anywhere from at least 21... Up to as high as twenty-seven bricks. Bricks, yes. B R I X to make wine. Uh, your choice if you are eating it just as a as a table fruit, and it's actually called a refractometer. If you are going to look one up, R E F R A C T O
0: M E T E R. I was giving the short version.
1: Yes, you were. You were
0: speaking. Yeah, slang. Shor- shortly. Yes. I uh, I use it for tomatoes. Do you? Yeah. What kind of readings do you get on tomato? F- Usually. Most tomatoes are in the seven
1: range. But then when you put some cherry tomato on it, it jumps to 20. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yes. The sweet ones. It only measures the sweetness. It doesn't measure the acidity. Right. And as any fruit, a tomato or a grape ripens, it starts very acid and very low sugar. And then they work toward each other. The acidity drops during ripening and the sugar rises. So if you have a particular taste for acid, as I do, you pick sooner. If you like sweetness, you pick later. So it's your choice and that when to pick.
0: Before you leave here today, I want you to take home with you some of Barry's Crazy Cherry Tomatoes. Okay. From Wild Boar Farms. I grew it for the first time this year. It's a cherry tomato. It's it got an interesting color. It's, it's kind of a, a light yellow. So you keep waiting for it to turn color to something like a deeper yellow right. or or maybe even a red. But no, it stays this very pale yellow. But you can tell by feeling it that, well, wait a minute, this is ready. It's, it's kind of squishy. For a cherry tomato, it actually has tomato flavor. Hmm. It, it's got it's a, it's an amazingly rich flavor. It doesn't have the sweetness of your Sweet 100s or Sweet Millions or Sun Golds or whatever. But it's just a, an interesting compliment if you're presenting a tomato salad at dinner time, that's full of cherry tomatoes and the color is a good contrast, too. So it's actually a very right. nice very mix pretty. with red cherries and this uh, light yellow berries, crazy cherry tomato with some mozzarella on it. I'm getting hungry. It, it's very good. <laughs> I would like to try it. Thank yeah. you. OK, it's a. Uh, it, it, it surprised me, but that has nothing to do with uh, George. With George's mission vine mission. Vine. But I, I think the big takeaway from what you said, if I, if I was listening correctly with half an ear, was that you need to leave 14 to 16 leaves past the bunch of grapes in order for it to ripen effectively.
1: Right. Correct. Correct. The food that is made in the leaves beyond toward the tip of the vine past the fruit is what it moves back. That's how food moves in plants. It moves back toward the uh, stem, the cane, the trunk of the plant, and on the way, it'll get diverted into the clusters. And so, yes, you need 14 to 16 uh, fruit in or- uh, leaves in order to get enough sugar into the fruit.
0: So sugars then are produced by the leaves and are sent back down the uh, pipeline. Correct. Back down, and it, it stops off at the fruit on its way back
1: down. Right. To the, roots. the fruit is a very strong. It's called sink. Plants have sinks, and that's where food goes. George talked about new growth. New growth is definitely a sink. Fruit is a stronger sink. It will grow that go there first.
0: By the way, folks, use that word bricks next time you play Scrabble or Words with Friends. There you B- go, B R I X, worth a lot of points. Well, we learned a lot about grapes today. Thank you, viticologist Debbie Flower. <laughs> You're welcome. We're glad to have Smart Pots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. Smart Pots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this program. My criteria though is is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, a product I would buy again and Smart Pots clicks all those boxes. They're durable, they're reusable. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com/fred. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com/fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next Smart Pot purchase. Go to smartpots.com Fred. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced gardener, or maybe you just shop at a farmer's market, there is advice in this cookbook that'll get you to growing each vegetable and herb to perfection. Not only a great cookbook author, but also a great seeds woman in her own right. Renée Shepard from Renée's Garden Renée, a pleasure talking with you.
2: Well, thank you very much, Fred.
0: Renée, you've been uh, you've had cookbooks on the market for over 10 years now.
2: That's right. This is my third cookbook, but it's the first one where we combine gardening advice for each vegetable on how to grow it as well as lots of good ideas what to do once you're harvested it
0: now if people want more information about the cookbooks they can uh, go to your website reneesgarden.com uh your other uh, cookbooks like uh, more recipes from a kitchen garden or recipes from a kitchen garden and the 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 fact that you're combining how to grow it with how to eat it uh, makes sense for me, because it's been my mantra for a while now. You grew it, now eat it. And uh, so many people just let that food go to waste in the garden, and, you know, they forget about it. They forget it's out there.
2: Well, that's true. You know, uh, running a seed company, we have a huge trial garden where we evaluate new varieties. So I am always faced with lots of great things from the garden to eat and it's a challenge to make good use of them that's why this cookbook was created because we always cook with all the different varieties so if I'm growing like I recently did three different varieties of purple carrots to see which ones I want to sell seed for um, then I got to figure out what to do with all those carrots and of course everybody's happy to take them home, but it's, it's still something I feel like the best part of gardening is cooking, and the best part of go- cooking is being able to get it out of the garden.
0: Exactly. You mentioned carrots, and in your catalog, you have a wonderful selection of carrots, and not just orange carrots, too. They're multicolored carrots.
2: Well, that's true. I didn't realize this till five or six years ago, but in other parts of the world, people eat different colored carrots, like purple carrots are very popular in India, and white carrots are very old heirloom, and yellow carrots um, are really beautiful. And the neat thing is that each different color has a different kind of antioxidant. So it's like eating a little bit of garden and nutrition, but they taste great, too. Yeah,
0: Exactly. And uh, you have recipes uh, in your new book, The Renee's Garden Cookbook, that are just for
2: carrots. Well, that's true. It's all organized alphabetically by vegetables. So if you've got a bunch of carrots or you have a bunch of kale or you have a bunch of peppers and you've used the first four things or three things that you always do with those um, vegetables and you want some new ideas, that's what this cookbook is for.
0: Well, let's uh, get back to the basics of what's in this cookbook, and that would be how to grow carrots. And it doesn't get much easier than carrots. And the great thing about carrots in our climate is you can plant the seeds just about any time of the year.
2: Well, that's true. I think the thing about carrots that gardeners need to remember is, first of all, if they take a little time to germinate, you need to keep them evenly watered. Um, and the second thing is a lot of people will mix carrot seed with a little radish seed to help space the carrots. And the other important thing about carrots is you really do have to thin them out so each little root has room to grow, maybe a half an inch or an inch on each side. So that's really important. And when you grow carrots from seed and they all come up, it's pretty well, very pleasing, and sometimes it's hard to pull out every other one a couple times, but it's really important if you're going to get big, fat, sweet cut carrots in the end.
0: And it helps to have loose, friable soil as well for those really long carrots. Some people here have heavy clay soil, and I always recommend, well, plant them in raised beds or even in large containers.
2: Well, that's true. And we actually sell a round carrot that was developed for the muck soils outside of Paris 150, 200 years ago. It's round, and it gets about the size, oh, of a walnut. Um, They're really cute, too. And you can grow round carrots if you have deep soil. So that's a way around that.
0: The uh, carrots, the varieties, are. You know, it's up to you. It's up to your imagination as far as you want to grow. And I mentioned that you can plant them just about year-round in California. Well, that's probably more true for uh, coastal uh, California and where you are in the in the hills above Santa Cruz and that area around Felton. But around here, you can plant uh, carrots from seed uh, from August uh, through December and, and March through May.
2: Pretty much the same here. We get a lot of hard frost here. Um, and when the days are real short, things you need to get the roots well established. So depending on the winter season, they'll either get ready before the depth of winter or they'll wait in the ground and start to re, uh, put on more growth in spring. But we, we grow carrots, as you say, early spring, a mid-sum, fast winter, winter crop, and then a fall crop because they're one of the things you can leave in the ground over winter if you want, and they keep in the ground.
0: And don't forget, too, that you can also do a succession crop where every few weeks sow another small row of carrots so you'll always have carrots ready. That's absolutely right. Now, let's talk a little bit about, um, if if you'll indulge me for a second here, about the the health benefits of carrots. There's new research out about how carrots can reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. And it was kind of an interesting study done in the Netherlands where intake of fruits and vegetables were categorized by color. And the researchers focused on four color categories, green, orange, yellow, red, purple, and white. And of these four categories, the orange, yellow, and and in particular, foods with the deeper shades of orange and yellow were determined to be the most protective against cardiovascular disease. And they even narrowed that down to carrots and carrots were determined to be the single most risk reducing food. So if you're at risk for heart disease, add more carrots to your diet.
2: And they also beside being good for you can taste good. Um, and of course, carrots. I think most people have heard that carrots are the best, one of the best sources of beta carotene, um, which is really good for your skin and eyes. And hair, so yes, they have a lot of benefits. And you know, you can take carrots, uh, clean them well, cut them in one-inch pieces, toss them in a little olive oil, and then roast them um, for about 20 minutes till they get uh, just nice and tender, and maybe a little caramelized on the outside. And then sprinkle some of your favorite herbs, like little thyme or a little tarragon, on them. That's delicious. Or you can, uh, you know, cook them on top of the stove in a little oil, and then put a little honey and lemon juice on them and make them sweet sour. You know, there's lots of easy things to uh, you know, do with carrots besides just plain boiled or plain raw, although those are great.
0: Now, I see you have a recipe in there that even includes some wine with carrots.
2: Oh, absolutely. It's a good way to um, work with them. And I've got a bunch of, I think, really fast and easy recipes for carrots.
0: Indeed. it's. Uh, I like the idea of uh, the blushing carrot uh, that basically c- combines it with uh, pears, red wine, and lemon thyme with a lightly spiced glaze. That sounds great. Uh,
2: well, thank you. It is good.
0: <laughs> Renee Shepard, always a pleasure talking with you. Uh, you can find more information about uh, Renee's cookbook and uh, the seed catalog. Just go to reneesgarden.com. That's Renee with two e's well three e's technically r e n e e s g a r d e n garden.com and uh, get the cookbook uh, order your seeds it is seed ordering season folks so uh, go for it there's a lot of good products in that catalog i get my renee's garden seeds every year and i always have great luck with them so renee Shepard, once again thank you for spending some
2: time with us it's a pleasure and thank you very much
0: You have a small yard, and you think you don't have the room for fruit trees? Well, maybe you better think again, because Dave Wilson Nursery wants to show you how to grow great-tasting fruits, peaches, apples, pluots, and a lot more in small areas. You could even grow them in containers on patios as well. It's called Backyard Orchard Culture, and you can get step-by-step information via the Fruit Tube videos at DaveWilson.com. And that's where you're going to find the closest nursery to you that carries Dave Wilson's quality fruit trees. So start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode, transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show. Plus, you can just listen to the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. There's other helpful links for even more information, including info about the new Garden Basics newsletter. And just like the podcast, it's free. Plus, you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. Leave an audio question without making a phone call via SpeakPipe. Go to speakpipe.com slash gardenbasics. It's easy. Give it a try. You can also use your phone to call or text us the question and pictures. 916-292-8964. 916-292-8964. And you can email us, fred at farmerfred.com. And if you tell us where you're from, that's going to help us out greatly to accurately answer your garden questions. Because as I'm fond of saying, all gardening is local. In the show notes, you'll find links to all our social media outlets, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And there's a link to the FarmerFred.com website. And if you would please, if you hear something you like on the podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you. Every week here on the Garden Basics Podcast, we like to talk with Warren Roberts at the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. He is their superintendent emeritus every week. He has a plant of the week for us, a plant that could be putting on a show where you live, a plant that does well throughout, uh, I won't say all the United States, but a lot of the United States. and Today's uh, not only grows throughout the Sunbelt and up the Mid-Atlantic coast, but also you can grow it in pots as well, which means you could bring it indoors in the wintertime. It is, well, I'll let you
3: say it, Warren. What is this? This is the Sternbergia lutea, S-T-E-R-N-B-E-R-G-I-A, lutea, L-U-T-E-A. The specific epithet refers to the yellow color of the flowers, and Sternbergia is the generic name. This is a plant native to the Holy Land. It's one of the lilies of the field. Oh, uh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, see, there we are. <laughs> All right. And sometimes it's called uh, yellow daffodil. Well, that's confusing because it's not a daffodil. But I think using the name Sternbergia works. It actually looks like a crocus, but it's not. The, fl- the shape of the flower is similar to that. And it's a another one of those plants that is dormant in the summer, kind of like the amaryllis. And then uh, the leaves start to come up, and then the flowers outdistance the leaves. So the these beautiful yellow flowers, golden yellow flowers, are are not hidden by the foliage at all. Now, this is a plant which does not like to be wet when it's dormant, and it's dormant in the summer. So areas that are really rainy in the summer like a lot of the the east and the southeast the best thing to do is keep that in pots and bring them out of the rain uh during the time that they're dormant in the uh i would say ooh, the first part of august you could bring them outdoors and let them let them absorb the rain and then they'll start uh, the leaves will come up the flowers will come up and they'll bloom they uh also are poisonous enough that gophers and other creatures don't eat them, uh, which is good. But it is one of those plants that if you give it no water and no care in the summer, it it survives perfectly well and then gives you this beautiful blooming in the early fall and on into the fall.
0: And uh, I guess this would be the time of the year to plant it then midsummer. So you might be looking for these bulbs at your favorite local nursery.
3: Yes, this would be a good time to do it. In the areas that it's native, it's native around, the, I guess, around much of the Mediterranean and it has been planted widely in that area for a long time. The, there's a garden on Mallorca, which for the the owner of the garden, this is her favorite flower. And she found out that she didn't have to water it, which was a good thing. She didn't have much water to spend. A perfectly beautiful plant. When, when does it usually bloom? It usually blooms uh, in August and September. So it grows quickly then. Yes, it does. And again, it's like there are some crocuses that bloom in the fall. In fact, there's the autumn crocus, which isn't a crocus, which also blooms about the same time. So there are a number of plants that, the bulbous plants, will give you uh, late summer, fall uh, bloom, which is a a time when not as many things are blooming. So uh, Sternbergia ludia is a good candidate for garden color in a time of the year when not as much is blooming inch and
0: a half flowers on six to nine inch stems, and it stays green through the winter too, and then dies back in the spring. Interesting.
3: Mm-hmm. It's getting ready for its, the Mediterranean summer in the area where it is actually evolved.
0: All right. The Sternbergia ludia, a member of the Amaryllis family, does well throughout much of the United States. Uh, I guess uh, for winter care, uh, you'd want to, I uh, guess, mulch it fairly well.
3: Either that or keep it in pots and bring the pots indoors during winter. The freezing
0: season all right check it out the sternbergia ludia warren robert superintendent emeritus of the uc davis arboretum and public garden more information about the uc davis arboretum can be found online at arboretum.ucdavis.com Lots of other great information there, plant lists, and a lot of advice uh, for your garden, no matter where you may live. Check out that website, arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Warren Roberts, thanks so much for the plant of the week. You're welcome, Fred. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by SmartPots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.